Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to How to Talk Sports. Episode number four is finally here. I know we promised in episode three that we would be consistent, but uh, you can thank the other two guys. Me and Jordan, you know, we would have been consistent, but the other guys dragged us down. You know what I mean? Absolutely. You know, these guys are real slackers, but we're here today, us two, and we're about to get a great podcast episode out of it. Oh my gosh. And lucky for you guys, the two most exciting sports right now just happen to be the ones we cover. Baseball is back. We've played about 10 games. The season started a week and a half ago, and a lot of exciting things are happening. And on the other side, basketball is just ending. Right. Today is the, as of recording this, today is the first day of the NBA play-in. We're going to have the uh, Miami Heat going against the Atlanta Hawks and the Los Angeles Lakers going against the Wolves. And this is going to be great. I cannot wait for the play-in. This is going to be some top-tier basketball. I say I say we start right there. We, uh, you know, obviously that's probably the more important, uh, you know, regular season starting and regular season ending. Right. On the scale of those, you know, playoffs more exciting. So, Kick us off with a little bit of an overview of this series we got. Well, all not right. series, just I guess one game winner take all in the in NBA. All right, so I'm glad you said that because you can't do a basketball podcast about the play-in without giving your predictions. You have to do it, and that's exactly what I'm going to do. So tonight we have the Heat versus the Hawks facing off, and I just simply cannot bet against postseason Jimmy Butler. He is an absolute beast. I really do not like this Heat team this year. But playoff Jimmy Butler's playoff Jimmy Butler. I would like to bet on the Hawks. I love Trey Young. I love DeJounte Murray. But that team is so off and on. They can't really find any type of consistency. You never know how they're going to play. I always know how playoff Jimmy Butler is going to play, though. He's going to play 110%. And that's all you need. It's one game. I think he can walk away with it. Dude, I'm rocking his jersey tonight. Absolutely. As for the Lakers and Wolves, I have to go with the Los Angeles Lakers because the Wolves absolutely fell apart in the last day of our season dude what with Rudy was Gobert that? punching a teammate and Jaden McDaniels punching the wall and breaking his hand and it's just absolute chaos I I simply can't bet on that team it would be I'd be a fool to bet on that team um they're just kind of dysfunctional right now Rudy Gobert will not be playing Jaden McDaniels because he broke his hand will not be playing it seems like the NBA perfectly set up the Lakers to move on into the playoffs script writers went ham and none of that is even mentioning postseason LeBron James, <laughs> which is, I mean, playoff LeBron has got to be the greatest player of all time. So with that being said, I have to go Lakers over Wolves. So obviously, what if I say Gobert doesn't punch anyone? He's, you know, finished out the season well. They they don't have any beef. And McDaniels doesn't get upset and punch a wall. He's got a fine hand. Who do you take in? I still have to take the Lakers in this because I think LeBron is just, he's LeBron, you know, and I still don't truly believe in this Wolves roster. I think it's just kind of constructed wrong. I don't know how Carl Anthony, Carl Anthony Towns would do kind of having to chase those, those guys Mm -hmm. out there on that wing in the postseason. So I would still have to go with the Wolves. I mean, with the Lakers, but this just made it a lot easier having no Jaden McDaniels who, Guards every team's best player. I think for over a thousand minutes this season, he spent guarding the other team's all-star, which is like one of four guys in the league who have done that. And every single star player has a terrible game against Jaden McDaniels. There's a whole thing about it. But with with him gone, I just see LeBron dominating because who's going to guard him now? Interesting stuff. So then we move on to the Bulls and Raptors. And, and this, this one is tomorrow, is, right? This is Tuesday or this yes. Wednesday? Yeah. As for the Bulls and Raptors, it's a little bit harder for me to predict, but I am going with the Chicago Bulls. And it's going to be a very weird reason. But Patrick Beverly is a play-in god. So I have to bet on the Chicago Bulls. Mainly because I want to see Patrick Beverly celebrating like he did last year when he got the Wolves into the play-in. And you know that Patrick Beverly winning in Chicago is going to be way bigger than winning in Minnesota. Absolutely. I I just have to see that spectacle. And I I assume Patrick Beverly will keep the the Bulls locked in tomorrow to get that win. I assume Zach and DeMar will really show up and do what they need to do to get the win. And then we have Thunder and Pelicans. 
And this was a pretty easy choice for me to make, me being a Thunder fan and all. I am betting on the Oklahoma City Thunder to win this game. Jordan! And I have my reasons. One going to need some good ones. One, Zion Williamson is injured, and he will not be playing. That's the biggest thing. If Zion was in this game, I would undoubtedly be taking the Pels. But I'm taking the Thunder because, I don't know, this team, I've watched a lot of Thunder teams in my life. This team just has a feel to it. You know, Shea Shea Gilgis-Alexander just seems like he, you give him one game, he can go for 40 that night. He can go for an efficient 30, 35, you know, Mm -hmm. on 12 shots, you know, and I think that's going to be very important. But we also have Lou Dort to clamp up Brandon Ingram. And then I also think Jalen Williams and Josh Giddy could have a great night. Obviously, this game could go either way. This is the one I'm least confident in. But I think betting on the Thunder is what I have to do because they're my team, you know? Fair enough. I think the only thing you'd have to worry about is B.I. having a really good game. Right. There is definitely a chance of that. But I think... B.I. having a really good game is not as good as Shea having a really good game. Mm. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fair. I was going to pretend like that's a hot take, but not at all. Shea's like fourth in scoring this season. Yeah, so. And like you said, relatively, uh, pretty efficiently. Very. So that's that's honestly kind of my my deciding factor. But either way, win or loss, I'm so glad that the Thunder are in this position, getting some postseason basketball, some experience, and really getting to put their name out in the in the – on the big stage that that's important, you know, cause we're supposed to be rebuilding right now. Yeah. Speaking of that, how do you, do you think the thunder were tanking this year? Or do you think they were trying to win every game they played? Because like you were just talking about, you talk about that lineup, you hear Shea, you hear Giddy, you hear Dort, you hear, you know, Williams. You're like, this team should not be a 10 seed or are they I nine think- or 10? 10. I think it's a situation of maybe we weren't necessarily trying to tank, but we definitely weren't trying to be good. And I think we just exceeded expectations. You know, Mm. I think Jalen Williams being as good as he is as a rookie was very surprising for even the Thunder, who obviously knew he had a talent, but definitely did not expect it to be this. I think Josh Giddy taking the jump that he did was unexpected. I think Shea Gilgis Alexander getting what six points per game better was very unexpected. Um, So I think going into the season, it was looking like, Oh, we'll have another lottery pick. We'll be a bottom, one of the bottom teams, maybe close to the play in, but maybe that's a next year thing, especially when Chet Holmgren, Chet Holmgren got injured at the beginning of the season. I don't think it was expected for us to be able to make a jump at all without our lottery pick, but once it started happening, I think that's when the team kind of bought in. We're like, okay, let's go for the play-in instead of shutting down Shea with injuries and stuff like that and kind of wait until next year. Okay. If Chet played this season, where did the Thunder end up? I'm going to be – listen, this is something the Thunder fans have thought a lot about. And I'm going to be honest, if Chet was playing this season, from what I expect of Chet, I don't think this team would be a play-in team. I think we would be solidified in the playoffs as a top five seed. Top five? Because the Thunder, I don't know the exact number, but the Thunder have had a lot of close games this year. It seems like every single game we've had has come down to the wire. And the biggest problems when we come down to those spots are we have no center. Mm. We have no interior defense, and we have no rebounding. What does Chet Holmgren fix for this team? Dang. Interior defense and rebounding. Now, I'm not saying we would have won all of those games, but even with how close the West is, winning a few of those games jumps our seeding so much that I think we really could have been a solidified playoff team had we had him. Okay. Now, one more thing. I want to pivot back to Bulls-Raptors. All right. Are Bulls 9 or 10 seed? Bulls are the 9? Let me make sure of that. Well, regardless, regardless. No, Raptors are nine, Bulls are 10. Okay, that's crazy. How does a team... Now, look, I'm a DeMar DeRozan lover. I know he's probably not as good as I think he is in my head. But I also know he's not as bad as some people say he is. 
And as much as little as I know about Zach Levine, I know that Zach Levine can ball out on any given night. Right. Um, and how do you, how do you have that? You know, I, I I I'm hesitant to call it a big two, but how do you have those two and end up a ten seed? I mean, is this an underperformance by the Bulls, or is this you know right? They look like they should be performing here. Well, the Bulls are just a very weird team the last two years. Um, I think there's a lot of things that go into them being the, the 10 seed. One of them was a lack of Lonzo Ball. Obviously, Lonzo Ball is dealing yep. with a lot of injuries right now. Um, I think losing his playmaking kind of hurts a lot because this this team, while DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine are not known as good defenders, this team has had an excellent defense throughout the entire year. Surprisingly, what's been the problem is their offense. The mm. offense has just been very stagnant, very stale. It seems like what they do is they kind of dribble out the clock and hope for uh, DeMar DeRozan mid-range to go in, and they're just not always going to fall. It's just that simple. They're not really running any plays. They're not going through their sets. They're kind of just praying that something goes in mm. and they get lucky. I think Lonzo Ball helps with that a lot because he is one of the best playmakers in the NBA, but I think it is a coaching thing as well. I think you have to have a better offensive minded coach for this team. You got him to buy in on defense. You have Alex Caruso leading the charge there, but I think the problem and becomes Patrick Beverly and Patrick Beverly. I think the problem becomes that you just need some offense as well to balance that out. And I did not expect the bulls to be a defensive minded team that to be their identity, but that's what they were. And the other problem with the bulls is they play to their competition. Last year, the bulls could not beat any good teams in the league. I think they were like they lost the season series against like Milwaukee, Philly, Boston, all those teams. This year they're winning those season series, but they're losing games to teams like the Hornets. They're losing mm. to teams like the Thunder. They're losing to teams like the Spurs, the teams that they should be beating. So they always play to their competition, and that's kind of a problem. Interesting. Yep. Well, I mean, a team like that kind of favors, you know, is favored in a playoff scenario. So yeah, absolutely. I think if they just need to lock in for one game, they can absolutely do that. And I just trust DeMar DeRozan a little bit more than I trust anybody on the Raptors. Gotcha. Fair enough. All right, last thing. Pivot back to uh, Thunder real fast because I forgot to ask this question. How big is the Thunder's window and what's the ceiling for this window? How high do you see the Thunder over the next how many years? That's a very interesting question. It's a great question. And it's very, I've thought about this a lot because I, I figured you had <laughs> because I look at championship rosters and over the years. And to me, there's there's a trend. There's something I notice, and it's that championship teams always are led by a wing. A guy who is playing the small forward, power forward position, except for Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry is the only guard in recent history who has been able to lead their team to a championship. He's mm -hmm. the only one. You look at Russell Westbrook, he could never do it. You look at Damian Lillard, he could never do it. You look at Chris Paul, he could never do it. So wow, I get kind of concerned looking at the fact that Shea Gilgis-Alexander, a guard, is our best player. But at the same time, Shea Gilgis-Alexander is such a different guard because mm -hmm. of the fact that he is not a perimeter player. He takes one three per game. He's getting to the rim. That's what he does, you know? And I think that changes things because the problem with those perimeter guys and those guys who kind of play the guards, basically, is they're easier to shut down. They're easier to stop, and they're not as good at dominating a game. But Steph Curry is so good at the three ball that he is good at dominating a game. He can take over. He can go for 40, whatever. I think Shea Gilders Alexander, because of his efficiency and because of the fact that he attacks the rim only, could be a championship level guard, but I'm not exactly sure. Um, so the core of this team, I really don't know their ceiling. I think we need another superstar, and maybe that's Chet Holmgren, maybe Jalen Williams. He progresses into that. Maybe it's Josh Giddy. I don't know. But I think there has to be another superstar. And I'm hoping it's Chet Holmgren, mm -hmm. but you never know. Please let it be Chet. You know how good that would be for basketball? Right? Everybody, It'd be amazing. Well, see, I was going to say everybody wants Chet to be good. Half people 
want Chet to be good. Those are real right. basketball fans. The other half want Chet to be a bust. And those He's are putting haters. on some muscle too. We there's been some pictures of him coming out, like working out with the team and stuff. Yeah. He looks healthy and he looks like he's getting some muscle on him. So I'm happy. I, to see I've, that. I heard the same thing about Luca, man. I don't know if I can <laughs> believe that. Well, that's the uh that's the play in overview. You know, we could talk about playoffs and predictions all day, but let's save it for next week's episode. Right. That's exactly so, what I was thinking. So that way we we have to commit to it and we'll be there next week. Absolutely. All right. Well, now, if you will, let's transition into a little bit of baseball. The other b-ball on it. this uh, on this podcast, um, ladies and gentlemen. Baseball is back and better than ever, in my opinion. Uh, opening day started March thirtieth, and we haven't looked back from then. Um, the New rules that we talked about in last episode are working. They're doing it pretty much exactly what they said they would. Uh, reminder: the, those rules were the pitch clock, you know, the bigger bases, and the uh, the shift restriction that we talked about in last episode. Um, if you don't, if you didn't listen to that, go to MLB, go to their YouTube channel because they posted a really, really good video. Um, that gives a breakdown of the rules, probably better than I did. Um, and there's some visuals that help. So go watch that. But the new rules are working. Um, Ronald Blum, the Associated Press, posted an article that shows game time is down 31 minutes on average. Wow. Uh, and yeah. And so last season, I think games were like right at three hours and 11 minutes up until this point. Uh, through like the first 10 games, basically. And right now they're down to like two hours and 38 minutes. Which, That's amazing. Yeah, which fits right in with uh, an NBA game. It's a little bit longer than an NBA game. Um, right around college football games uh, and, and way under NFL games. Um, so very exciting news for not only non-baseball fans, people who think the games are too long and too boring, uh, but also for baseball fans because as somebody who watches games all the time, uh, this is frankly less time that I have to spend watching a bunch of games. And there's more action. It's going quicker. I can get through innings faster. Um, so it's just so good. It's so fun. Um, now, a lot of people also with this pitch clock were worried that um, there's going to be in spring training, they implemented the pitch clock, and there was a bases loaded opportunity with a full count and two strikes. It was very exciting, chance for a walk off, and the batter committed a pitch clock violation because he didn't get in the box fast enough, and the umpire called strike three, game was over, uh, which was a very sad thing to happen. And the baseball Twitter world erupted. This is going to be terrible. They should get rid of it in the ninth inning. We shouldn't have this in the playoffs. This is just going to ruin big moments. There's going to be so many of these violations that it's going to take away from the game. But there have been 125 pitch clock violations in 141 games so far this season, uh, which is an average of 0.89 violations per game. And now remember, the pitcher can get a violation, the batter can get a violation, and even the catcher can get a violation. So three chances for a violation at every single plate appearance, and we're averaging less than one per game. So this whole narrative, that's great statistics. That's oh, great to hear. That's really, really good uh, because nobody wants a ton of violations ruining the game. That you know, if that were the, the case, I would want this thing gone. But yeah. that's not the case. Uh, we're at, like I said, we're averaging less than one violation per game. So the integrity of the game is not necess- is not being ruined at all. Um, so that is a very, very fun thing. Uh, very you know, good to hear for the for the pitch clock haters out there. Um, also because of the shift restrictions, the infield shift. Um, so basically they, they don't allow you to stand in certain positions. Uh, remember, like I said, two guys on each side is second base. Um, batting average is up 16 points, uh, around the same time last season due mostly to these shift restrictions. 
Um, and last year, batting average was at like an all-time low since like the eight, the 1960s, I think. Uh, and now we're up 16 points uh, on average. So also very exciting stuff because the higher the batting average, the more hits your favorite player is going to get. Um and the more fun baseball is going to be to watch, more Absolutely. runs scored, all that stuff. The, the first podcast episode that we did, I said, I asked you, what can baseball do? And it's they they did it and it's working. And I love to see that. It's it is very exciting. I remember you asking that and I remember saying some stuff, but baseball nailed it with this one, Absolutely. with these rules. Um we have actually already had our back to the uh average time of game. We've already had our first game be under the two hour mark. Um, the twins versus Marlins game was one hour and 57 minutes. Now this was thanks to Marlins ace Nash last year's national league Cy Young winner, Sandy Alcantara, um, doing his Sandy thing and pitching a complete game shutout. So he went the full game. Uh, so they didn't have to waste time switching pitchers or anything like that. Uh, not only was it an incredible game by him, but also just shows that, this pitch clock thing is really working because last season there was only one game out of every game played. There was only one nine inning game that was under two hours. It was an hour and 54 minutes between the Rays and the Cardinals. Um, and out of all the games last year, there was only one. And we've already had one in only the first 10 games of the season. There's, so there's going to be more to come. So that's... there's absolutely going to be more to come. So, those are just a little overview of how the new rules are working. Oh, also, stolen bases, another one of the most exciting things in baseball, up 30% wow. due, to the, due to the disengagement rules and due to the new slightly bigger bases. So, like I said, man, it's alive and well. Oh, it's Absolutely. so exciting. No better time to for someone to start getting into baseball. Oh, it seems like funny you should say that, Jordan, because this, as we were just talking about before we started recording, this is a great time to get into baseball. On that note, another thing I've been thinking over the last couple of days, I don't know a whole lot about soccer. Will's not here, so I can say that. I When Will's here, I have to pretend I know what I'm talking about, <laughs> about soccer, but Will's not here. So I don't know a ton about soccer. I asked my friends who do know about soccer, what team should I cheer for? So, a quick podcast announcement. I am officially an Aston Villa super fan. Uh, Aston Villa till the day I die. Um, Ollie Watkins is my favorite player. Don't ask me another one. Um, <laughs> I'm still in the infant stages of this fandom, but that's my team for the rest of my life. And so, because of that, that kind of got me thinking – what are some what are what are the baseball teams? If someone asked me, who should I be a fan of? Who am Anyone I going to tell? But the Royals. Okay, see, actually, <laughs> actually, as a biased Royals fan, I think you should be a Royals fan, and I'll give you, I'll give you. But obviously, I'm going to tell them first off. If you live in a city with a baseball team, be a fan of that team because. It's always so annoying. Like you, Jordan, being a Seahawks fan is so annoying, dude. You live in Kansas City, all right? You have so? the privilege. You have the privilege of being in a city with the best football team in the world, and yet you want to waste it on a Seattle Seahawks team. The only exciting player is the ex K State Wildcat Tyler Lockett. All right. <laughs> That's the only good thing about the Seahawks. That's fair. But I became a Seahawks fan when the Chiefs sucked. Oh wow! And also, Fairweather. Yeah. Also, the Seahawks were good back then. The Legion of Boom was like the most entertaining. Okay, okay, whatever. Football team I've ever seen in my life. I had you're, to be a fan. You're missing the point. If you live in a city with a baseball team, you should be a fan of them. If you don't, here are my recommendations. And and I've kind of I've I've positioned these to the point where, uh, if you say tell people this, they're not going to be like, oh, you're a bandwagon. So. My first pick is the American League for the American League is the Baltimore Orioles. Now, the Baltimore Orioles had a had a very surprising season last year. So this is one of this is a fringe team where if you tell people you're a new Orioles fan, they might call you a bandwagon, but other people might not. It's because they, you know, they really overperformed last year, but they still weren't very good. Uh they've got one of the most exciting players in the game in Adley Rushman. Um 
But anyway, Orioles is a really good American League pick. Like I said, they have a very bright future. They have two incredible, uh, or no, three actually, uh, prospects. Now, Adley Rushman is not a prospect anymore. Um, but last year was his rookie year. He played a little under half the season, had a nuts, absolutely nuts uh, breakouts, you know, part of his career. Uh, and everyone is projecting in in only his second MLB season, he is projected one. He's projecting the top three of catchers, uh, which is absolutely disgusting. They've also got this third base shortstop prospect, Gunnar Henderson, who's just got this incredible baseball hair. He gets on base and he shakes it and it's <laughs> awesome. Uh, one of the fastest guys in baseball. He's exciting to watch. That's primetime stuff. And then they just called up a new guy, Grayson Rodriguez, the other day, starting pitcher. Um, had a pretty good start. Went five innings, pitched two earned runs with like seven strikeouts, I think. Um, so... A lot of stuff to look forward to with the Orioles. Um, and they've also got one of the most exciting closers in the game, and Felix Bautista. He's he's probably like 6'4", 260, maybe 270. They call him the Mountain. He is just this beast of a man, and he throws this wicked splitter. Uh, you've got to go check out the Orioles. Um, that's a good American League team. Also, if people call you a bandwagon, though, you should be a Royals fan because we have a good young core. We have an, a, a pretty cool stadium, and it's not even going to be here for that much longer because we're going to get a really cool stadium. Uh, and, man, the Royals are great, dude. We got we got new staff. Are we they? Got, they are. We have a completely new staff. We had a new owner a couple years ago. Royals are looking up, all right? Uh, but then National League, if somebody – a team that – you should be a fan of is the Arizona Diamondbacks. And you got to get in quick because the Diamondbacks are playing really good. They actually lead the National League West right now. They are have more wins than the Dodgers, the Padres, and the Giants. Um, so get in quick on the ground floor because the Diamondbacks, very similar to the Orioles, have a lot of very exciting young talent. Um, they've got, oh gosh, what's his name? I'm oh, very excited. I know. Dude, it's very <laughs> exciting. It is exciting. I just what is his name? Corbin Carroll. Corbin Carroll. What a name. How do you forget oh, that? Dude, I know. He's got such a good baseball name. It's got the alliteration. <laughs> He's another candidate for fastest guy in the game. Um, he tied Bobby Wood Jr. last year for like the fastest time to second or third or something like that. Um very toolsy player, five-tool type of guy. Uh, a lot of upside for Corbin Carroll and for the Diamondbacks in general. So get in now. Those are my two, you know, potentially three recommendations um, if you're going to become a baseball fan. I think the best way to base your baseball fandom is by which teams have the best fitted hats, which Ooh. is how I became a Chicago White Sox fan <laughs> because White. I just love the basic black and white, but also the New York Yankees. Have a beautiful black hat with a pink underbrim. Oh my goodness, it is beautiful. Um, but that's how I became a Chicago White Sox fan. So yeah. I did not take Jack's advice in following the team that's in your city because, well, the Royals aren't good enough to justify that. Shout out the Royals, though. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Uh, if you want, if you want sexy jerseys, then you gotta go Miami Marlins. Their City Connect jersey is just like red and white pinstripe oh i've got one i've got the no contra one. Oh, it's so cool um and then i love a good pinstripe jersey oh dude pinstripes are the best right and then who else has a good jersey padres have a pretty cool city connect jersey uh it's like highlighter green and pink it's really cool colors um those are my picks for Teams, up-and-coming teams you should be a fan of that you won't get called bandwagon, and my picks for two sexiest jerseys. Oh, also, also, your team, Chicago White Sox, have an incredible City Connect jersey. When you get a chance, look it up. It's it's like, it's this black, and it's mostly black with white pinstripes, and it says South Side across the front of it. Oh, it's sick. I want one. Tim Anderson. I need to go to a Royals game this year. Dude, I think that's right. something I need to do. I'm going to look at the schedule. Royals, White Sox, when they come into town, we'll go. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right. Well, that is our kind of news and updates. Um, 
Now let's go into our player highlight. Jordan, you were telling me a little bit about a guy you got. Who did you choose for your current player highlight? My current player highlight is a man who was in the NBA Defensive Player of the Year candidacy. It's kind of a race between three guys right now, just like the MVP is. But my current player highlight is Jaron Jackson Jr. One of the now, best names in the NBA. Right? Trey J? Oh my goodness, it's great. Now, one thing I have to mention is, for my personal pick of Jaren, of Defensive Player of the Year, Jaron Jackson Jr. is not it. Mm. My Defensive Player of the Year is Brooke Lopez. I agree. I also say Brooke Lopez. And it is only for the reason that Jaron Jackson Jr. could not stay on the court. He got in so much foul trouble. And he couldn't even start the season on time. Right. But with that being said, Jaron Jackson Jr. is an absolute beast. He played a thousand less minutes than Evan Mobley, another guy in that defense player of the year candidacy. And he got like 50 more blocks than him with a thousand less minutes. It's insane. So Jaron Jackson Jr. leads the NBA in opponent field goal percentage. Guys going against him score 43.1% of their shots. Wow. Crazy inefficient, right? The Grizzlies were 20th in defensive rating before he came back, but when he got back, they were third since then, right? Dang. He's averaging three blocks per game. He is an absolute beast on the defensive end, but also he kind of stepped up offensively in the last few weeks of the season with John Morant facing his suspension with this and that going on. Desmond Bain missed time this season. And Jaron Jackson Jr. stepped up, and he did what he needed to do to keep the Grizzlies afloat. I think that's really important. I think it's great that he is a great defensive player, but he also has so much offensive upside with his wacky-looking jump shot that somehow (laughs) goes in. And his lob threat, he's just a great player to have next to John Morant. He's a great four to have next to Steven Adams, who is also just an absolute beast. He... If he was a bigger name, I probably would have made him my current player highlight, honestly. But um, Jaron Jackson Jr., just a great name and a great player. Um, and years ago, his his dad said that he was the he was Tim Duncan with a jump shot. I'm not entirely sure I'm going to agree <laughs> with that because there's only going to be one Tim Duncan ever. True. But Jaron Jackson Jr. is a heck of a player. So, you know, I can't really be too mad at that comparison. So you have... Brooke Lopez one, JJJ two, yep. Mobley three. Okay. Absolutely. And that's big for Mobley because he is a second year guy who shouldn't even be at this spot right now. True. But in the next few years, I think Evan Mobley will be that. And honestly, I think Evan Mobley is the Tim Duncan comparison. Oh, he is they're pretty boring. They're very similar. They're <laughs> they're very similar. And defensively, statistic wise, Evan Mobley's season can only be compared to Tim. Dem- Tim Duncan's second season. And in Tim Duncan's second season, he won finals MVP. Hey. Evan Mobley might do the same. You hey, never know. watch out, you Cleveland. Never know. Right? Dude, those Cavs look really – we talked about the, the Thunders window and the ceiling. Those Cavs have uh, – you The know, Cavs are the best young core in the NBA. Absolutely. Because not it's, only do they have a ceiling of you know a ring, but I see it open for quite a while. Right. And it's like with the Thunder, it's like we still have to wait a few years for them mm-hmm. to get to that. The Cavs are there now. Yeah. And they will be for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's good stuff. Jaron Jackson. But now tell me about your current player. Oh, I'm glad you asked because I'm sure you, as well as many people over the last year, heard whispers and rumors about a little, not-so-little, big guy named Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees. And uh, I know you may have heard some stuff about his last season, but we'll get there. We we got to start at the beginning. Mr. Aaron Judge was born in Linden, California, where he played his high school ball at uh, Linden High School. And by high school ball, I mean football and basketball, and baseball, because Aaron Judge was Mr. Linden High 
as he was a three-sport star athlete. He set the school record for touchdowns in a season with 17 Jeez. as a wide receiver. By the way, Aaron Judge is six foot seven. So oh can, can you imagine wow. <laughs> some guy getting out of calculus class, lining up on the gridiron against six foot seven Aaron Judge on fair. Friday night? It's not even no, fair. Man. No, that's brutal. Um, yeah, so he, he scored a cool 17 tutties that season uh, and also messed around and led his basketball team in scoring, averaging 18.2 points per game as the starting center. Wow. <laughs> Which uh, in high school ball, very impressive. Uh, and of course, he pitched and played baseball for his and, and played first base for his high school baseball team. Um, so I can only imagine what everyone was talking about at Linden High School. Um, right. Having you your know, pick of three sports is insane. Yeah. You could have just done whatever you wanted. <laughs> exactly. And speaking of that, he graduated high school in 2010 and was drafted in the 31st round by the Oakland A's, but turned that down as well as football scholarships from Stanford and UCLA to be their tight wow. end to go play college baseball at Fresno State. Um, his freshman year, 2011, at Fresno State, his team won the WAC tournament and qualified for the NCAA tournament, um, which is the second best college tournament of the season um, because it ends in the awesomeness that is the College World Series. Uh, they didn't make it, but they still qualified for the tournament. Um, that same year, he was named a freshman All-American. Um, the next year, his sophomore year, he won the College Home Run Derby. Surprise, surprise. Um, in his junior year, he led the team in home runs, doubles, and RBIs. Um, he finished out his junior season and in 2013 was drafted number 32 overall by the New York Yankees. Um, he received a cool $1.8 million signing bonus, which never hurts. Um, and he spent the next two and a half years working his way up through the minor leagues. Um that's just how baseball is, you know. A lot of people wonder why these rookies are coming in like 24, 25. Because like NBA, a guy can have can be really, really good in college, but he's 24 years old and he won't get drafted because that's just yeah, too old. It is. But um, in in baseball, you know, rookies are very consistently um, 23, 24, sometimes 25. Like there was a guy who came in last year as a – like a 31-year-old rookie, I think. Um, really cool story. Minor leagues are grueling, dude. Remind me to tell you about the minor leagues sometimes. It's brutal. But anyway, he spent two and a half years there. Um, that's pretty standard. He spent two – He it probably would have been a little quicker, but he tore his – he tore something in his wrist, I think. Um, 2013, had to sit out that whole season right when he got drafted. So an injury set him back a little bit. But anyway, he was called up to the Yankees late in the 2016 season. Uh, that's something they do in baseball a lot is they'll have a guy in the minors. And if they're thinking about bringing him up next year, they'll bring him up for like 20 or so games at the end of a season just to get him a little bit of experience. Makes because um, you're qualified as a rookie when you have under 130 at-bats. So they'll bring you up for right around 30 games until you get about like right just under 130 at bats or like right around 100. So that way, then the next year, um, you'll still be you can still qualify for rookie of the year. So that's what the Yankees did. They called him up in 2016 and true to form, Aaron Judge smacked the home run in his very first at bat, which wow. is just hilarious considering what he would go on to do the next year. He made the opening day roster in 2017 and immediately took over. Um, he played 155 games, led the league in, not the team, led the league in runs, home runs, walks, and the only blemish was he also led the league in strikeouts. But that's just what happens when you club 52 homers and set the rookie home run record. 
So nobody really cared about those strikeouts because he did it just about everywhere else. Uh, he ended the season with a 1.049 OPS, a 1. OPS, folks, in his first season. Uh, obviously won the American League Rookie of the Year and messed around and got second in MVP voting. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. That is nuts. Can you imagine a rookie getting second in MVP voting That's in the NBA? Crazy. Dude. He is uh he's quite the quite a man, especially when he was, you know, that rookie year. That is impressive stuff. Um he had a very good next four seasons. Uh obviously when you can have that kind of power, you're you're gonna be all right. Um he was an all-star that season, obviously, all-star in 2018. Missed the all-star game as well as quite a few games in 2019. Um, he only played about half the games in the shortened 2020 season, but then came back 2021, was an all-star, um, fourth in MVP. Then we get to 2022. It's a contract year, folks, which means his contract was expiring at the end of the year. Um, and so he, he did not, before the season started, him and the Yankees were working on an extension and the money just wasn't where he thought it was worth. So he declined the extension and was like, I'm going to show you guys that I'm worth more than this. The, you know, a very, very bold move. Yep. Um, and potentially backed it up better than anyone in history. Because Aaron Judge had the most incredible baseball season that I've ever witnessed in my life last year. Played 157 games, starting most of them in center field, which is a pretty difficult position on your body. A lot of acceleration, a lot of stopping, a lot of starting, uh, you know, pretty difficult position on your body. Um, led the league in runs scored, RBIs, walks, Led the league in on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, OPS+, and total bases. There's more bold on this baseball reference page than there isn't for 2022, <laughs> guys. And, oh, that's right. He led in one more thing. Home runs. Aaron Judge, on his second-to-last day of the season, hit home run number 62 breaking the 61-year-old American League home run record set by the other Yankee outfielder, Roger Maris. Um, just an absolutely incredible season. Uh, I honestly don't think I'll ever see anything like this again. Um, unanimous American League MVP. Uh, actually, I don't know if it was unanimous because there's this other guy Shohei Otani who's pretty incredible uh but it you know it was pretty close to unanimous if it wasn't uh and definitely well deserved um oh my gosh Aaron Judge is him he's a uh, you know how we were talking about Tim Duncan earlier Aaron Judge is yep. him Duncan all right <laughs> I I got to my dad and I went on a baseball trip last year and we went to New York and saw the last game of the Mets-Yankees Subway Series, saw that in Mets Stadium, and the next day the Royals were playing the Yankees in Yankee Stadium. And, oh, my gosh, it was the best baseball game I've ever been to because Brady Singer matched up against Jamison Tyone. They both went uh, – Brady Singer went seven, uh, seven scoreless innings. Tyone went six. The Yankees bullpen, Royals bullpen, they were all firing on all cylinders. And it goes into a 0-0 game – Bottom of the ninth. They bring Royals bring out Scott Barlow, our closer, who's had a really, really good season up to this point. First up to bat is Andrew Benintendi. His first game as a Royal or as a as a Yankee. He was traded from the Royals two games, two days before. Wow. His first game as a Yankee up against the team he just got traded from. He's first up to bat in the bottom of the ninth. Scott Barlow strikes him out. Me and my dad are so fired up. And then Aaron Judge walks up to the bat. <laughs> And first pitch takes Scott Barlow deep for a walk-off home run in wow. Yankee Stadium. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Packed out. Every game was sold out that season. The crowd went nuts. And as hard as it was to watch Aaron Judge trot around those bases and even gritty as he walked over home plate, wow. gosh, I'm glad I got to see it because <laughs> it was 
Such an incredible moment in the history of baseball. What a season. What a player. That's Aaron Judge. So I have a question. Go ahead. Aaron Judge's rookie season showed that he was clearly so very ready to be in the MLB. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think that he was ready before he was even there. That time he spent getting ready to start before his rookie season, all that before he got called up. Mm -hmm. Do you think that was just time wasted and that he could have just been in the MLB that entire time? Well, so that 2017, like I said, they brought him up for 27 games in 2016, right? He had 95 plate appearances Mm -hmm. and in 27 games, he hit four home runs, 10 RBIs, um, Bat 179 batting average with a 263 on base percentage, an OPS of 608, and an OPS plus of 61. Um, a once you know, even if you don't know that much about baseball stats, a 179 batting average is not going to cut it. Um, and a 263 on base percentage, league average on base percentage is a little bit over 300, so like. Uh, like 315 right around there. And his on-base percentage was 263. Um, OPS plus is probably the most telling on this stat sheet. OPS plus is average. Uh, uh, the league average OPS plus is always 100. And his OPS plus was 61. So according to that stat, he was 40% worse at batting than the league average hitter. So I think the those couple games of 2016 showed he wasn't ready. But... You know, whether it was weightlifting or whether it was just confidence of being, you know, you know, maybe something had clicked in spring training or over the offseason. He worked with a hitting coach or something. But, yeah, he definitely was not ready before that. I think we can definitely see that from the numbers. Makes sense. So, uh, gosh, what a season. It's incredible. I can't imagine being a player baseball player going up for your first your first pitch in the in the big leagues and then smoking that thing for a home run that's insane yeah Yeah. like that's crazy very fitting we should have known right then he was gonna do some incredible things right so uh i got a little bit lazy and i didn't do a historical player but i know you did absolutely i did and i i'm dying to hear about my man boogie all right so as he just said my historic player highlight is demarcus cousins boogie cousins um and he's not too historic he was in the league last season but he is probably my favorite center of the 2010s which was the era i grew up watching you know so i had to give him a little bit of love because his name has kind of been in the media a little bit he's been on some interviews saying this and that and i just kind of wanted to remind everybody that this guy he was serious you know So just recently, he kind of went on an interview and he said that he was the third best center in the league right now. And there's a few problems with that statement. One, he's not in the league. (laughs) Two, he wouldn't be the third best if he was. Um, But with all that being said, there was a time where he was the best center in the league. In the 2016-2017 season, DeMarcus Cousins averaged 27 points per game 11 rebounds per game, and 4.6 assists. And the biggest part of this is you have to remember this was a very bad time for centers in the NBA. The second best center after him was maybe DeAndre Jordan, who, shout out DeAndre Jordan, was not a very skilled center. Mm. He didn't really get into the post or do anything. He wasn't bringing the ball up the court. He wasn't going to do anything but really catch a lob, get a rebound, and put it back. Second most dunks in NBA history. DeMarcus Cousins was the guy who kind of paved the way for the Nikola Jokic's, for the Joel Embiid's, for all of those guys who are kind of dominating the center position right now and kind of bringing that back because he was the only center back then who was really bringing the ball up the court, facilitating, finding guys here and there, kind of the engine to an offense. You really didn't see that back then. During the 2010s era, the point guards and the forwards – were the engines to the offense. The centers were kind of at a weird spot where people wanted a unicorn, a tall guy who could stretch the floor, and that's about it. And 
every team wanted a guy who could kind of space out the floor and they didn't want the center to really have much of a role in anything. But DeMarcus Cousins was the only guy back then who was really the engine to their offense and leading their team, not leading the team to the playoffs because the Kings weren't making that back then, but leading their team and kind of being the number one guy. Um, He was a four-time all-star and unfortunately his career kind of got derailed by injuries. Um, It's very unfortunate because prime DeMarcus Cousins was a sight to see. Um, He currently just signed with the, I don't know how to pronounce it. The Mets of the Puerto Rican professional basketball league, where he will be trying to find his way back into the NBA. And I absolutely have to root for him. One more little thing. In the 48 games of the 2018 season, before he went down with his injury, he averaged 25.2 points per game, 12.9 rebounds, 5.4 assists, 1.6 steals, and 1.6 blocks. Oh, my gosh. He was sharing the floor with Anthony Davis while he did all of this. Absolutely insane. We've never seen two big men kind of dominate in the way that they were, and it sucks that he got injured because – he was just on an absolute tear. That's disgusting. Right? Even the, how many assists? Um, let's see. What was it? What was it? It was 5.4. Like, I expect, I mean, this is crazy to say. I expect an elite center to average right around, you know, 25 plus points and maybe like 12 plus rebounds. But even dishing out five a game? Right. Very this impressive. This is before, like, Jokic. Who, before Jokic was right? broke the mold. This, this was... This wasn't normal back then, you know? Um, so, yeah, DeMarcus Cousins is just a special player. Will he get back to the league? I I don't think so. And what makes me think that is him saying that he's the third best center in the league. <laughs> we just saw Tristan Thompson get signed to the Lakers, and people are questioning, oh, how come DeMarcus Cousins couldn't get signed there? He's better than Tristan Thompson, undoubtedly. DeAndre Jordan is still in the league. And people are like, how is DeAndre Jordan in the league? DeMarcus Cousins is better than him, which is undoubtedly true. true. The difference between them is Tristan Thompson and DeAndre Jordan know their role. They are bench players. They are there for serviceable minutes at most and kind of there to be a locker room guy because that's just what they're good at at this point. They're not the player that they used to be. The problem is DeMarcus Cousins doesn't seem to want that role. He doesn't want to seem to be the oh. backup guy who gets a few spot minutes here and there. He wants to. He thinks he's the third best center in the league, which all confidence to you. But the way to get back into the league right now is probably to be the bench guy who brings a lot to the locker room. That's just what it is, you know. Mm. Yeah, but third, I hope he gets back to the league because I'm always rooting for Buck. That'd be sick. Third best is crazy though, because even if you count Giannis as a power forward, which you know I think I think most people should, you got Jokic and Embiid tied for first, you know, one's first, one's second. Right. Then I'd give third to Sabonis pretty easily. Absolutely, I'm so glad you said that, dude. Sabonis is absolutely nuts. Yeah, talk absolutely. about man. Jokic paved the way for him. Absolutely, Sabonis dude. is gonna gonna have a pretty incredible career. Uh, and man, doing it in Sacktown too. Let's right? go, Kings! I love the Sacramento Kings this season. I love the. Speaking of the Sacramento Kings, while well, you mentioned them, and we were talking about Boogie, so it kind of fits. Earlier this season, when I made my standings predictions, I think I put the Sacramento Kings at like nine or eight, finishing the season there. And what's crazy is that was considered like really believing in the Kings. That was high the season. That was high. Most people would have the Kings lower than that. And then they jumped to the three seed. Two, they How? were two for a while. They were two for a long while. How is that possible? Man. Most teams, you see them take the leaps. You're seeing the Thunder take the leaps right now from bottom team to play in to playoffs. You saw the Cavaliers do it. You saw the Grizzlies do it. The Kings skipped a step. They completely skipped a step. And it's absolutely insane to see. I love the Kings. I l- light the beam. Dude, I love light the beam. The beam. Oh, have right? you have you seen those uh those Bleacher Report like anime things of the of the NBA? Oh yes, dude, yes, absolutely. Those are yes. so funny. 
Shout out to KOT4Q. He's the executive producer of those. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense because I love Kenny. That it, it checks right. out that I like those. So Absolutely. Much. Uh well, Demarcus Cousins, good luck, but you're not gonna be better than Sabonis. Yep. Well, Jordan, I I think we might have come to the end. Absolutely. Oh, wait. I have one more thing to share. Yes. My tweet of the week. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And this tweet really made me laugh. So <laughs> on October 7th, 2022, Rudy Gobert tweeted out, insecurity is always loud with a period. <laughs> and the reason he tweeted that was, if you remember what was going on around that time, Draymond Green had just laid a punch to his teammate, Jordan Poole. And Draymond and Rudy Gobert have always had a little bit of back and forth because Draymond doesn't really respect Rudy Gobert, which a lot of NBA players don't. But Rudy Gobert tweeted that as a little sneak diss towards Draymond Green. So at 6.14 p.m. on April 9th of 2023, Draymond Green decided to tweet out, Insecurity is always loud. Let's dot, go. Dot, dot. Let's go, Draymond. Because Rudy Gobert decided to lay his hands on Kyle Anderson during the game. And I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Draymond Green getting his little his little punch back, you might say, at Rudy Gobert. Um, I just thought that was really funny. So that was I decided to share that as my tweet of the week. That is fire. And um, all right, before we end. Because I know we said we're going to end, but I now I have another question. I know you're a Rudy Gobert fan. You, I mean, you stick up for him. I do, absolutely. You know, what are your thoughts? Um, it seems like Rudy Gobert doesn't have a friend in the NBA at mm, this point. It seems point. like every single time we hear about him, his teammates aren't really a fan of him. I think that was part of the reason why D'Angelo Russell got traded this season to the Lakers, and that's why they brought in Mike Conley to kind of be that guy who is is friends with Rudy, has played with Rudy, and knows how to play with Rudy to maximize mm. him. Um, but it seems like I was, I was listening to J.J. Reddick's podcast, The Old Man and the Three, and he talked about this situation, and he said he mentioned this movie with Jennifer Aniston and um, Vince Vaughn called, I think it's The Breakup, um, where they're talking and basically Vince Vaughn says, um, if everywhere you go, there's a problem, you are the problem. And that's what JJ Reddick said about Rudy Gobert, that he Dang. is the problem. And I'm not necessarily going to agree with that, but it does seem like there has been a problem following him for the past few years. And, you know, you saw back when he was with the Jazz that Donovan Mitchell passed to him like two times per game. <laughs> and then he got to Minnesota and D'Angelo Russell passed to him like two times per game. And it seems like he just doesn't really have a friend on his teams right now. He kind of feels he kind of seems like he's alienated. Um, I still think that Rudy Gobert brings a lot to the defensive end of the basketball uh, of basketball. Um, I just think the fit with the Timberwolves just isn't there. It's just not for him. They have Carl Anthony Towns. I don't know why they went out and got Rudy Gobert, but I I don't also don't know how they move on from the situation considering all, all that they gave up for Rudy Gobert. Yeah. And considering that him doing what he's doing right now is not helping his value at all. It's hard to trade a guy who's getting into fights on the sideline, who doesn't seem like they're bringing anything to the team which was kind of the problem with Russell Westbrook where he was playing so bad with the Lakers because he didn't fit that it was like how, who wants him? Then you see him go to the Clippers and he's completely changed. Mm -hmm. I think the same thing could happen to Rudy Gobert. It just is someone going to take that chance on him because the big thing with Russell Westbrook was Paul George was his friend. That's what got him a job with the Clippers. Who is Rudy Gobert's friend though? Dang poor guy. Right. <laughs> You you want to feel bad, but at the end of the day, you can't. <laughs> right. I mean, you're not a he, likable guy. Right. You make the bed that you lay in. You know. So true. And it's, Rudy it's Gobert is a slob. He hasn't made that bed in <laughs> a long time. Right. I bet his sheets smell so bad in that. 
I bet he doesn't even shower after practice and just goes and right, lays he just in goes it. straight, lays back in Ugh. the bed. Ugh. Well, now I think it's the end. Absolutely. We have had quite the episode of, I think we should, if, if this happens again, if it's just, this is the B-Ball podcast. Yeah, this worked, right? Because this, because worked, this yeah. worked. And, you know, fans out there, all of our all of our tens of fans. <laughs> right. <laughs> right back, you know, let us know. Does this, does this B-Ball format work? You know, just the baseball, just the basketball, the two best sports in the world. Who are we kidding? Right. Why do we ever need those other guys? Exactly. Well, hopefully... Will will be back next year, next next week, not next year. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll get some some football coverage for y'all. Um, but until then, thanks for listening. We hope you learned about baseball. We hope you learned about Aaron Judge. We, you know, if you weren't a fan, hopefully now you've got a a, a team to root for. Um, make sure you watch the play in tonight. Um, and Jimmy buckets is is gonna do his thing. We all know it. Jordan, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been a pleasure being here. And we promise we will see you next week.